Hi, I'm Shane Twist and welcome to Behind the Beef, a podcast that gives you a look behind the scenes and into the everyday activities of the people behind the beef. Welcome back to Behind the Beef and happy 2024. Although it feels like we are well and truly back into the swing of things for the year, we are finally back with our first episode of 2024 and for it we were joined by Victorian producer Brad Gilmore. Brad hails from southwest Victoria where he and his family run a commercial Angus operation alongside a sheep operation. Brad is a past president of Angus Australia, serving as chairman of the board from 2018 to 2020. He concluded his tenure on the Angus Australia board in 2023 and is a member of the Angus Victoria Breeders Group. With a decades-long history within the cattle industry, Brad has joined us to share about his Angus story, sharing with us about his operations and breeding philosophies and the reasons why he breeds Angus cattle. A big thank you to Brad for joining us for this episode. Let's jump into our chat now. Welcome to the podcast, Brad. For those who don't know you, can you please let the audience know who you are and where you're from? Uh, good morning, Shane. It's Brad Gilmore. I'm from southwest Victoria. I've been on a number of Angus committees and state committees and boards, and here I am talking on this for some unknown reason. <laughs> I'm sure there's trees out in the car park that are more interesting. <laughs> I'll stop it. <laughs> so, Brad. Just a bit of background on yourself. What are some of your earliest memories of Angus cattle in your life? Uh, so I actually grew up in Gippsland and my earliest memories, we used to buy our bulls, Angus bulls from Roy and Jones Stuckey at Leewood Stud, which is still continuing today um, at Flynn near Rosedale. Roy was a fantastic cattleman, knew his cattle really well. Joan was a vet. Um, they were a great combination and a great family still to this day. So still producing Angus bulls, as we said. Nice. So what's your ag story? What is your personal journey like and how did you come to be where you are today? As I, as I just said, we, we, I grew up in Gippsland and the Gilmore family had been there for two or three generations, three generations. Our farm, unfortunately, was on a massive coal field, which was compulsorily acquired by the government and... Today is the Loyang Coalfield, as we know it. Powers most of Victoria, I guess, with brown coal. Um, so we were forced to move. We moved to a property at Ballarat, and then after that we moved to another uh, current property down near at Tarang near Warrnambool in southwest Victoria. Yeah, right. So how long have you been there for? So we've been there uh, 42 years, so almost a local. Um, <laughs> We, we, we love it down there. We, we loved it in Gippsland. We enjoy, really enjoyed Ballarat as well, but we love it down there. It's a um, very reliable country. We're probably the odd person out on the block. We're surrounded. It's a very high dairying area. We're surrounded by dairies. Um, so given the season or the time of the year, it's either the dumbest person on the block or the smartest <laughs> person on the block. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, ever had the call of the wild to go to the dairy side of things? Oh, no, that's just a step too far. <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> Fair enough. So, Brad, what does your business look like now and what is your breeding philosophy or breeding objectives? Well, I've always been a firm believer that quality females are critical to any business in cattle breeding and probably in marriage as well. (laughs) Um, So I think if you set your goals on those females and you stick to your guns, so if she's got a bad foot, a bad udder, just 
cut her head off. Don't try and mate her and breed it out of her. Just take the pain straight up the front. And, and if once you get those females right and a very short breeding, we join for six weeks and be hard and fast on that. I've heard every excuse under the sun like, oh, a calf got through the fence, we'll run around again. She didn't, you know, nah, just let her go, start again. Because that having a high pregnancy rate in a short breeding period is money in the bank and because you've got your heart on these females the resultant steers are just automatic you've got a even line of steers to sell whether it's on on the box or you know privately yeah and i firmly believe in in that and and when seasons come and go in in the cattle job and it ebbs and flows but when it's right out on a limb like we've just seen the last two or three years be prepared to take a profit and and you might even sell down your herd just so you can, you know, expand, reduce debt, do all those, you know, improve your facilities that makes your life easier for when the downturn comes, because it will come. So, yeah, always, if you can, try and... And by that time, you'll have bred them back up again, because if you've got a good herd of females, that it's unbelievable how quickly they multiply because you haven't got that cull rate. And, um, yeah, so always take a profit if, if when it's at those extreme levels. And with that concept in mind or that objective in mind, are there specific genetics or traits that you are looking for in your herd when you're selecting bulls to go into that female herd being as important that it is? Yeah, so we'd always go and look at the bulls and we'd go and look at their mothers as well. So we'd certainly narrow the list before we even got to a stud. We'd go and see them prior to the sale. We'd drive out in the paddock and go, well, where are the, these are the, our short list. Let's go and find the five dams. We've got the data. We know how many calves she's had. And often you'll see, you look back, you'll see cows that have missed a year and you, you want to know the reason for that and why she's still in the, in the herd. So all those little things add up to making our final decision, Shane. So. As I was just saying, it's quite high rain, it is very high rainfall country. Um, and our limiting factor is, is the winter because we do get too wet. So previously, if you'd asked me this question you know, five years ago, Shane, we, we would have had, I would have said we've got 1,200 Angus cows, we're producing feeder, you know, feeder steers, um, growing them out to four, 520, but we suffered a number of wet seasons and the pugging of our paddocks was just soul-destroying. Yeah, It's very costly to replace that pasture and yeah. so we had to look at alternatives to having all cattle. So my eldest son came home and on the farm... And we looked at sheep and we ran sheep. We got a trial mob and, and ran them alongside the cattle at the same stocking rate and it was just a chalk and cheese observation. Yeah. And we thought, well, Blind Freddy can see what the answer is here. So some of the cattle unfortunately had to go, which was, we love, we still love our cattle to this day, but they had to go. And so we were probably about a 50-50 cattle sheep, op- fat lamb operation with ewes. So we've got about... Uh, six and a half thousand, seven thousand ewes, yeah, a bit over ten thousand lambs. So, and the rest, and still got a four, three or four hundred, five hundred Angus cows. So we've just been lucky enough to purchase another property, mm-hmm. which is a sole cattle property, which we absolutely love. It's like no pugging. It's like going on holidays. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. Which is good. The cattle are loving it, and we're loving it. Yeah, perfect. So what kind of cattle are you producing and what is your target markets? So we're still producing those feeder steers to 460 to 5, closest we can get them to 500, 520 on that when the B double leaves, um, yep. just to maximise the dollars. Um, so we're all spring calving, so we're calving September 
and two weeks into October, so we're on a six-week joining, and we're looking to finish those steers, or not finish them, but have them to feedlot entry weight by you know, November, December. Yeah. Um, depending on the season. If get a, last year we had a shockingly wet year. Everything was running behind, so some of those steers actually went through into January before we got them to the weight, but eventually they, they went, yeah. And we, yeah. yeah. So I always like to follow my steers because they're sire and dam matched right through to the abattoirs, and I often made a point of going to the abattoirs because... Frankly, you can't rely on them to match the tags and the NLIS data. So I've often been seen standing there recording them, but I find it's an excellent opportunity to get that processor-producer acquaintance happening all the time. And I'm always super keen to get the feedback from the processor and from the feed yard if they've been to ranges or wherever, because then I'm able to drill down on those cattle that don't make the grid, because you want to know the bad news as well as the good news. You can drill down on them and say, well... I have to sell that bull that's produced those steers or I make sure that the progeny of him go to a different market that doesn't need the marbling that they need, for example, at NH Foods or or JD. Don't just ask for the good news, ask for the bad news and be prepared to act on it. So what's the best part for you about being involved in the Angus breed and why do you choose Angus cattle for your operation? I've always liked data, I'd have to say, and when the Angus... When on the EBV trail, we're going to say, oh, I always, and I've said this before a few times, in, back again in the 80s, 70s and 80s, Hereford and Angus were probably neck and neck, like a Ford and a Holden racing down the road, trying to <laughs> edge each other out or knock each other off the road. Yeah. Um, and once we went for the, we're driven to excellence and, and eating quality, more tools in our toolbox to help us select our cattle, look, we just put a Mercedes badge on the front of the Angus and they just pulled away and game over yeah. <laughs> as far as we were concerned. Yeah. And we had a bit of a cosmopolitan herd, to give you an example, and we separated our red cows from our black cows one year and we weighed every calf, every they're all recorded one-to-one, sire and dam, weighed them at weaning, sold them all for two years in a row and there was a $50 difference between the red and the oh, really? black, and there was one kilo difference between the weaning weights. Oh, really? And over a number of cows, that's a lot of money, and we're just like, well, see you later, girls. I'm sorry, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> says that was the end. Yeah, yeah, we were just all black from then on, and it's been a a wonderful move. Yeah, right. So, what is the best part for you about being involved in the agricultural industry? So, I'd say it's it's. I feel we've just had a, a big turn on the on the agriculture industry, on particularly in farming and, and cattle and sheep. In the 80s and 90s, it, it seemed to be that the, for want of a better word, the dumbest child in the family stayed home and became a farmer. All the other, you know, the intelligent ones went off and became doctors, lawyers, leaders of other groups. But we seem to have turned that corner and we've got the brightest children coming back onto the farm and, and there's a whole network of very forward-thinking you know, young people out there at the moment. And social media has helped this immensely because we can have a problem in the paddock with a weed or, and there's just nothing you cannot find out through that network within five minutes. And you know what spray to use, you know what mineral you need to put on. It's a really exciting period, I believe. Yeah. And it's in strong hands going forward. Yeah. So what's the biggest challenge that you've faced in your career or your life and how did you overcome that and learn from it? Uh, I'd have to say the biggest challenge, not only for us but to, and it was for us, but to um, all farming families is, is a succession plan. 
It's absolutely essential that you address it and also in conjunction with that, that your will is up to date and your parents' will. So it's it's not set in... You, only have, you don't have to write it once and go, well, that's it, it's done. It's a living document and it should be altered and updated as you go along because things change, families expand, farms expand. Yeah, I'd have to encourage everybody to address and address it when your children are young. Yep, yeah, keep at it because it, it can destroy all your life's work and your father's before you if, if you don't. Yeah. No, it's very topical. I was recently at the um, Young Beef Producers Forum in Roma and there were plenty of conversations about succession and the importance of it and the fact that you need to change the stigma of succession from it's this big, massive, scary thing. If you address it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that it's just super, super important because then it can progress into something that it shouldn't be. And you can... And I would encourage people to you know, get a facilitator because it's a very awkward question for a family. And even getting a facilitator can be a bit like trying on a new pair of shoes. You might try on one pair and you're like, no, they're not really comfortable. And you might go to the next pair and go, oh, that's the one I'm looking for. And it's that personal connection with them as well that will make it work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what's the best advice you have ever been given towards your career? I found this was a hard question, to be honest. So I'd have to say, never be afraid to look over the fence. Every district, no matter, and I've lived in th- three different districts, farmed in three different districts. Every district has leaders and teachers that you drive past and you go, geez, that's a tidy operation. And don't be afraid to go and ask. Yeah. And if you don't, and if they give you the answer and you still don't understand, ask the same question again till you go oh yes I've got it now yeah so yeah always there's plenty of advice out there you just have to be prepared to put yourself out there and ask and for you who has been the biggest mentor or supporter of your career I want to go home tonight so I'm going to say my wife (laughs) (laughs) and and this is this is true like without her support the entire time she was a teacher and a town girl didn't know anything about farming but she's absolutely loved it from day one um, and without her support, it just we definitely wouldn't be where we are today. So and continues still going, doing the same, can draft cattle, mark calves, drive a tractor, all those sort. You know, absolutely essential. So to what team. I'm hearing is that she does all the work. And, well, <laughs> she is today because I'm here and we're, we're things are happening at home. <laughs> so what motivates you to get up and go to work in the morning? I'm really tempted to say all the debt, <laughs> which is partly true. And for some reason, the bank seems to want that money back. I just can't understand that. <laughs> Weird, isn't it? It's just, look, seems so unfair. Um, yeah, look, I'm a morning person, so I love getting up early, getting going. I feel like you always achieve a lot more in the morning than you ever do in the afternoon. Like most farmers have probably been doing all their life, they strive to leave their land in a, in a better order than when they got it. So whether that's more water, more trees, more sustainability, it's um, what we all strive. I know we've planted, Marg and I have planted, you know, 50,000 trees and we stopped counting. We're just like, well, we'll just, who cares? Yeah. And you get, you know, and I know it's been said, you know, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, but it's very rewarding when you do see them to maturity, stock, a lot more bird life. It's um, really pleasing and you feel like you have left it in a better space. Yeah. 
with it being a family business like yeah. what you've got, do you have any long-term or short-term goals for the future of your business? Well, even though I'm getting older, I just can't stop myself looking over the fence. I can't stop myself scanning the papers for other properties for sale. So still got that in my mind. I don't know why my wife would kill me. Um, but yeah, I just love the thought of getting bigger. I don't, you know, even though I'd love a beach house, I'd probably like to buy next door even more. So Yeah, yep, fair enough. What do you think are the biggest challenges for our industry or what our industry will face in the next five years? I, I think it's misinformation and decisions by government that are um, influenced by minders and they've got other agendas and they really don't understand how agriculture works and, and where their food comes from and the, and the sustainability of that food and the fact that it's there on the shelf every week. So, yeah, like it's, it's a big space to... We need to be not attacking it but having our say and, and making the city people more aware of, you know, what our struggles are and that we need to be paid fairly. Yeah. Yes, I see that as a big, a big issue. And specifically, what do you think Angus producers and the cattle industry's biggest opportunities will be during that time? Well, as our current slogan says, Angus for every system, it's a fantastic breed. We've got eating quality. We've got very credible data. We've got a worldwide gene pool. So there's lots of... I think the sky's the limit for us and, and, and there's lots of areas in Australia where Angus breed can still push into, whether it's Angus or Angus infused. It only adds to the profitability of those farms and the eating quality of them, you know, proper producing for the consumer. Yeah. What do you think some of the key achievements of Angus producers have been over the history of the breed? You should be fairly across as being our president when it was our centenary here. Yeah. But um, what do you think some of those key achievements have been? Well, well, certainly the development of the EBVs and we're ongoingly trying to you know, increase that accuracy and it's just another tool in our box of selecting cattle for the market we're trying to, to hit. We've got Genomics now, Heifer Select, Angus GS, Angus Verified. All those things are a point of difference when the going gets tough. If you can tick all those boxes, you're going to command you know, the highest dollar you can, you know, get back at the time so when everybody else is just taking the whatever is offered you've still got that point of difference and you're at the top end of the market so So how has angus australia changed over the years from your perspective as a member and now a past president and member of the board well it's certainly got into it it's a very big beast to drive at the you know going forward it's a cattle society it's an nearly an it company i've noticed just in the eight or nine years I've been on the board and it's been a big increased load on the on the directors um, there's a lot more committees consultative committees and I think we just probably need to be careful we don't burn burn them out on some of these things um, technology is supposed to make our life easier but we probably need to try and drill down that on a bit more <laughs> <laughs> and you've done a fair bit particularly during your time as a board member and president of Vegas Australia so reflecting back what is a memory or some memories of your time that have stuck with you look I have to say I've absolutely loved it I think the roundup is a fantastic youth initiative I've been fortunate enough to go to the World Angus Forum in Scotland and the Secretariat in Uruguay and they talk about the Angus family 
in, in Australia and worldwide, the Angus family. And, and I used to think, oh, this is a bit of you know, BS. <laughs> but I can honestly say it is absolutely real. Um, and it's not when things are ticking along well that you notice it. It's when things turn bad that you notice it. Shane, we were uh, unfortunate to be burnt out a couple of years ago and the phone calls and help we received from Angus breeders all over Australia was unbelievable. And it made me feel guilty that I hadn't done things myself in previous years. And, and to give you an example, people would ring and say, you know, do you need some hay? And like all farmers, you're pretty proud and you're like, like no, we've got a fair bit. I think we can make it through. And they'd go, no, Brad. Uh, the truck's already left. You just decide where you want it when it gets there. Yeah. And, and that happened time and time again. And we were so grateful. Um, it, it was it was really touching to be, you know. Yeah. And you didn't have to, it wasn't a matter of reaching out. They just said, it's loaded, it's left. It'll be there in three hours. Or it was from New South Wales. And, and it was just, it was unbelievable. Yeah, very special. Yeah, it was. And, and so that Angus family is real, that's something that has, stuck with me or will always be with me. I think I was fortunate enough to be the chairman on the 100 year anniversary. So I had a wonderful you know, year that year, um, meeting all, all the states and all the members from everywhere. It was a, it was a great celebration and, and well-deserved because it's a fantastic organisation and breed to be involved with. And just recently we've seen the involvement of the Gen X program, which has sort of taken from that youth to the next stage of people's businesses and it's a fantastic program so if you've got any young adults i'm going to say out there on the farm like encourage them to put their hand up to go on this program because they will the mentoring and the things they learn in that is just unbelievable i wish i was 18 again you know it's, it's fantastic yes no it definitely is i guess what will you miss most then about being on the board of angus australia well i, I certainly i I do miss the camaraderie of the board and, and the staff. It becomes a pretty close family. I'd have to you know, talk to each other a lot, just trying to steer the ship in the right direction. Lo love meeting with the members, whether it's at field days, beef week, conferences. It's, um, it's, it's a great family to be part of. And when you're really committed to it, it sounds ridiculous, but there might be, you know, the board papers are massive might be a couple of hundred pages of reading and but you still I still look in the letterbox and go well I know the meeting's coming up where's my papers <laughs> and you're like no oh, sorry Brad but you're out you're not getting any papers anymore and you feel like you're missing out and you want to know what's really going on and mm -hmm. um, so it's a bit of a tear at the start but I'll get over it <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you'd like to leave with the members yeah definitely if you're keen put your hand up for something there's always plenty of on the state committees on the consultative committees at Angus Australia, there's lot. See, see how you like it. I'm sure you will enjoy it, and you get to see how much is going on behind the scenes for your benefit. We put a lot. Everybody puts a lot of effort and thought and time into it. So yeah, I would say, put your hand up, have a see how it is, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. It's a, it's a wonderful team to be part of. So Brad, you touched on the fact that you attended the World Angus Forum in 2017. We have our World Angus Forum coming down under in 2025. Why would you encourage people to attend World Angus Forum and what is the event actually like? Well, Shane, the, the rest up before you can <laughs> absolutely get on board because it will be unbelievable. We've had huge interest from America, Canada, England, and there's lots of other, I'm going to say, minor countries, you know, Germany, Czech Republic. 
this is going to be your annual holiday. Do the pre-tour, do the conference, do the get-together in Tamworth, do the post-tour. It, it will be enormous and you'll meet so many lifelong friends that have a common interest and goal. Um, we're all in the job of farming and in breeding, well, they are elite cattle, but breeding you know, big lines of Angus cattle. Scotland, I was fortunate to go to the one in Scotland. It was, it was massive. We visited a number of studs day after day. They were all so welcoming and so generous with their knowledge that they passed on, opened their farms up. Same in Uruguay. All the gauchos rounding up the cattle. It was, it was really impressive and it was just showed you the breadth and depth that the Angus has across the world. So beef's in Rockhampton's big, but do not miss 2025 in Australia. Put it on your calendar now. Okay, so to finish up, do you have any recommendations of a person, program or piece of literature in the industry or outside the industry that you think listeners should look out for? Oh, look, I'm not a great reader, Shane. Um, I'm probably really old school, so Stock and Land, The Land, The Quarterly Angus Journal, all wonderful publications. A lot of the online podcasts, are, I'd have to say, are, are really good, but I'm not great into those. Yeah. So, yeah, I... That's all I've got. <laughs> That's fine. And the most important question you'll answer today, I'm sure, is how do you have your steak? So, yeah, I'm going medium rare on that. Thank you very much. Perfect. So, had it last night. <laughs> <laughs> and hit the spot? It was beautiful. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Brad, for joining us for the podcast today and giving us a little bit of insight into you and your business and your background. Thanks, Shane, very much. I've enjoyed it. that brings us to the end of today's episode a big thank you to everyone who has returned to behind the beef in 2024 and to all listeners who have joined us for the first time a reminder as we get right into the thick of 2024 to make sure you are across our news and events sections on the angus australia website which can be accessed via the burger menu on the top left hand side of the angusaustralia.com.au homepage. this location is your one stop for all the latest news from angus australia to view the upcoming events listed by Angus Australia members and Angus Australia, please visit the calendar of events which can be accessed by the news and events section. A reminder to producers who have not already sent us your bull sale information for 2024 and beyond, please contact marketing at angusaustralia.com.au with your bull sale name, date, time, location and contact details. With the autumn selling season upon us and with the reality that spring will be here before we know it, for those who are looking to buy in 2024 and are wanting to utilise some of the tools Angus Australia provides, we recommend you access the Angus Select Suite on the Angus Australia website. If you're in the market for a bull this sale season, Angus Select is an excellent way to peruse the catalogues available to find the bull best suited to your breeding objectives. Or if you are selling this sale season, listing a sale catalogue on Angus Select is a great place to display animals for sale and provide prospective buyers with the latest information, as it's loaded with features designed to assist members with utilising the full potential of the Angus Australia database. To access Angus Select or to learn more about the Angus Australia database resources, please visit angusaustralia.com.au. For any assistance regarding the tools available to our members, please contact the Angus Australia office. 
And that's all we have time for. As always, make sure you follow and subscribe to Behind the Beef and leave a five-star rating or review. And follow and like Angus Australia and Angus Youth Australia on Facebook, X, Instagram and LinkedIn. Thanks again and we'll catch you on the next one.